China has been in the news, and not lately with a particularly optimistic tone. So what does that mean for China's investability or emerging markets? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of February 12th, 2024, and I am absolutely thrilled to say that I have a special guest joining the show today. China has been in the news as its economy slows and global investors become more concerned with what could be an accelerating real estate crisis. China's property market, though, has been one of those persistent risks in the last decade or so, and investors knew that there may be more supply than demand in this market and that a risk of a resulting economic event was there. But as with many big risks, it wasn't clear how or when it would play out. So what's happening now? What does it mean for China? the economy, emerging markets. We are so very lucky to ask these questions of Valentina Chen, who is co-head and portfolio manager of the Emerging Markets Debt Team at Mackay Shields, coming to us from London. Valentina, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's start right at the top. Can you give our listeners some perspective? What's happening in China? Interestingly, I think there are two seemingly conflicting themes going on in China. On one hand, there is a long list of concern about the sluggish economic growth, uh, deflation, lack of domestic demand. Then you mentioned the winding down of the real estate sector. But on the other hand, there is this amazement about China's booming electric vehicle exports, um, the huge progress made in chip production, first home-built passenger jet last year. So to square the circle, at least partially, is China's intent to focus more on the quality of the economic growth instead of the quantity, to move away from certain highly levered sectors, such as the real estate, to renewables and high-tech. And what this means is more targeted and restrained fiscal stimulus higher tolerance level of low growth because it simply takes time for other sectors to replace the real estate sector, which has been around almost one third of China's GDP. Wow, that's fascinating and puts a completely new framework on the (laughs) delicate balance that China has to navigate this economic transition that you're describing. And if it is a transition why are investors worried about it today? What are the the potential downsides that they're seeing? Because that's really what we're seeing most focused on in the Western media. Firstly, investors are worried about their investment returns in China. The Chinese equity market suffered almost 20% loss in 2023. And in fixed income, the default rate of offshore China high-yield corporates was around 17%, although almost half was coming from the real estate sector. But this rightly makes investors wonder, as an offshore bondholder, where are we in the payout packing order? 
And secondly, the investors are worried about the impact of China's struggles on the rest of the world, both in the economic sense and the financial market consequences. What does this mean for supply and demand of commodities? What does this mean for other Asian countries' economic growth? And what does the U.S.-China relationship mean for the economic reality and the risk sentiment of the financial markets? But the same logic applies to my answer to the first question, Lauren, which is investors are also worried about losing out on capture, capturing the right tail. Hence the argument about one can de-risk but not decouple from China are we reaching peak pessimism in the Chinese equity market? The TMT, technology media, and the telecommunication sector often attracts attention for potential upside returns. I heard this uh, analogy the other day when it comes to China's renewables and high tech. It is like driving. You could see a car in your rear view mirror, then suddenly it disappeared. And the next thing you know, it's overtaking and ahead of you. You've raised so many important questions. I think we'll only get to a few of them today. But I want to start with the most basic one. With all of these competing realities in the experience of the Chinese economy right now, what's your overall outlook on China's growth? I think a better way to tackle this question is to recognize that it is about choices rightly or wrongly, by the Chinese policymakers, it is not about ability. China, at least historically, has had a strong track record when it comes to fiscal stimulus. And can China address deflation? Monetary policy stance in China is tight with positive real rates right now. Then, despite of the narrative of shifting away from manufacturing and boosting domestic consumption, we actually have seen very little convincing data to support this. Again, this may be a deliberate policy choice to remain strong on supply with a delayed effort on boosting domestic demand, again, perhaps out of political considerations. I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which is that investors may be de-risking vis-a-vis China, but decoupling is a different story entirely. How do you assess whether China is investable for an investor with a global purview? What's your take on that? Um, I think we can tackle this many ways, right? But to make an investment decision, um, the process is typically gathering information, analyze information, and access the financial market when it comes to investment in the financial markets. I mean, gathering information is really hard. Often it is opaque. And as an offshore non-native speaker faces asymmetric information, a lot of the news and the reports are only written in Mandarin. Um, and the many corporate investor relations departments communicate via WeChat, which is the WhatsApp equivalent in China. So all this has a knock-on effect that makes analyzing information hard. Um, then we have China regulatory impacts to consider, um, strong technical factors due to domestic players to consider, 
And finally, when it comes to access the market, China has made a tremendous progress to facilitate offshore investors accessing the market. So this should be no longer a meaningful hurdle. So therefore, when it comes to you know whether China is investable, my recommendation is is the short answer is yes, um, but with the right tools and the right setup. I think the way we organize um, the research team at Mackay Shells is to have analysts that speak the language, appreciate the nuances of the Chinese markets, understand Chinese policymakers' perspectives. And then apply this knowledge under a diligent, robust, and a credible Western economic research framework. Yeah, you're, what you're describing is is so salient for our global investment teams because as much as globalization has increased access to different countries and cultures and regions, there's still these really intense differences, even in different countries in the West or different countries in the East. And so getting closer to the market and really understanding the dynamics we're speaking of, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I want to go back to another thing that you mentioned when speaking in high-level terms about China, which is that investors are thinking about what activity in China, whether accelerating or decelerating, means for other countries. And I'd be curious, because I know you cover emerging markets more broadly, what what's happening in China means for the broader emerging markets credit complex? Again, a um, very interesting question. I think it is important to point out first that the, the, the offshore hard currency emerging markets credit complex is currently 2.5 trillion US dollar. It is a large but also well-diversified universe um, with more than 700 issuers in the benchmark universe. So China is important but not dominating in this complex. And then there are themes we can play by incorporating China um, but without directly facing the information challenges mentioned before, for example, Macau Gaming. It is a sector that has done very well, partially benefiting from the China COVID lifting, um, but as well as the sector's own positive structural changes. Um, India is another example. Again, India is undergoing its own positive economic transformation, but it has received the extra attention um, and the flows as investors look to reduce China exposure and look for neighboring opportunities instead. However, having, having said all this, um, there are strong sectoral influences, positive or negative, from China that one cannot ignore. Um, one theme currently is the petrochemical industry, mostly due to the large supply from China the margin for the industry globally is currently compressed. So we are waiting for this to clear and for the cycle to turn around. And once that happens, it will allow companies in this sector, but from many different emerging countries to perform. Obviously, an incredibly complex set of investment considerations that you and your team have to consider every day. Based on what's happening, what you've described to us today, what actions are you taking or maybe not taking as a portfolio manager as a result of these dynamics in China? 
As a fixed income investor, I am more focused on the downside than the upside. So therefore, when it comes to China, um, my approach is cautious in general, um, but backed by diligent research. Um, we will also not shy away from opportunities where, where we think risk rewards are favorable. And then it is equally important to be precise about what investment instrument in China to choose when we invest. So when it comes to offshore China high-yield corporates, we decided quite early on to stay away from the real estate sector, but some conglomerates in China with offshore assets um, look interesting. Um, when it comes to onshore China investment-grade corporates, the technical there is favorable in terms of gas supply because these companies do not need to issue offshore, but a strong demand as domestic institutional investors such as life insurance have a very strong preference for high quality, long duration papers. And when it comes to local interest rates, when China experiencing deflation, which is rare in the current global context, it offers diversification benefit. Um, now, when it comes to domestic currency, CNY, uh, we can use this as a useful tool to express tactical bullish and bearish views on China. And then last but not least, there are the other themes I mentioned before that one can play outside China. Valentina, this has been an incredibly insightful conversation. I particularly appreciate your bringing in some of the global themes that any investor would be thinking about into the emerging markets complex where there's just truly so much going on. Thank you for joining us. Again, thank you for having me. If you're interested in this conversation around emerging markets and you'd like to keep up, you can follow Valentina and her team's views, including pieces, for example, deeper dives on the conversation around India that she described and other insights at MackaiShields.com or NewYorkLifeInvestments.com. Coming up next, we'll take a week off for the U.S. bank holiday, but we'll be back with you in two weeks. For all your questions and topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at NewYorkLifeInvestments.com backslash global dash markets. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. Very grateful for Valentina Chen, who joined us today. See you next time. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issue or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. Mackay Shields is 100% owned by Nylum Holdings, which is a wholly owned New York Life Insurance Company. Mackay Shields is a sub-advisor for some mainstay funds, one of the New York Life Investments Company. Not all products and services provided by Mackay Shields may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Mackay Shields, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of Mackay Shields. 
New York Life Investments is both the service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA, SIPC.